just what I've heard. Some people have told me that. A few have probably told me I'm a pain, but I don't listen. I don't listen to them. First Kings chapter number 17. And again, I pray and hope I don't keep you long. I mean, it's not my plan to preach long, but you know, long is relative. Long to some people isn't long to others, so amen. But we do want to get out of here tonight at some point. 1 Kings 17, I, I want to read the majority of this chapter. Starting in verse 1, he says, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn east with thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And we're going to look at this thought uh, tonight with the idea of missions. He said, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks. I always found that amusing. Two sticks. I don't know if you've ever cooked over an open fire. When I go camping, it's like, I don't know, a cord. <laughs> I like piling it on there. You got to cook quick. But she's gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. I'm sure he didn't mean the last part, die. But make thee me there. Lighten up, okay? It's all right. It's the Bible, but you know, there's some of this stuff. I think God has a sense of humor sometimes when I read it. I'm like, wow, I see stuff I've never seen before. But... Make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. And thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according uh, to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days." And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. And I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but we understand and know from this that her son dies. And Elijah takes the boy up to his room and he prays to God, Why have you done this to her? As uh, She's been such a help to me and your servant. And uh, the Lord gave that life back to the boy. And uh, he was able to bring uh, the, the uh, child back to her. And in verse 24, the woman said unto Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God. 
and that the word of the Lord is thy, in thy mouth is truth. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help tonight. I pray you would stir our hearts. God, as we're thinking on missions this week, may our uh, hearts and minds be in tune with the things that you care about. And Lord, we know you care about souls. The Bible says it. Your son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yet many times I believe that we as Baptists are here to condemn the world. God, help us not to be that way. Lord, help us to have the vision that Jesus Christ had when he died on the cross. That we would have a heart that is broken for the lost around us. And we'll thank you, Lord, if you see fit to reach down and meet with us tonight. What a blessing it would be. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 24, the woman tells Elijah, Because you've raised my son, because my son has been brought back to life, now I know that you are the Lord's man. I don't know what she was thinking while the meal and the oil was going for months on end, feeding them. I don't know why that wasn't good enough. You know, we're harder and harder to please, aren't we? Used to, it was little things that used to make an American person happy, you know. If we could get a little bit of water, if, you know, if it would rain a little bit on our crops, or we'd have just a little bit of it. But now it takes a lot more. we got to have internet access. Amen? We get harder and harder and harder to please. And I see it also spiritually in our society today, in our churches. We used to be happy with a little bit. We used to be happy with meeting under a shade tree uh, when the power of God would come down and stir and move our hearts. Uh, and now we want padded pews and air conditioning and heat and all the special things that everybody demands today. Uh, and if a visitor comes into a church and they don't have all the programs for their kids, they're going to walk out and keep going down the road. It used to take just God's presence to make God's people happy. But now it's hard to please people, isn't it? We desire more and more and more. We have become so spoiled by the goodness of God that now we make demands of Him. But as I look at this passage this evening, I want us to look at an illustration in this story of how faith promise works. How giving to missions is supposed to work. I've titled the message, Make Me One First. Because this man came out of the woods. He had been, it's his fault, by the way, if you want to lay blame on anybody, because he went to King Ahab and said, it's not going to rain again until I tell you it will. And so he went back and God fed him by a brook by dirty birds, ravens or dirty birds. Baltimore. <laughs> Honestly, I know it's, it's tough, but let's, let's hang in there, all right? But he fed him with the birds, and then when the brook dried up, he said, I want you to go to Zarephath, and there's a widow there, and I've commanded her to take care of you. Now, I don't know how much or how. God doesn't tell us how he commanded her. He doesn't, but somehow she kind of had an inkling this was going to happen. I believe, from what I read, that's what I see. He said, I've commanded a widow there to, to care for you. And so he goes to this, this place, Zarephath, and he's coming to the gate of the city, the Bible says. And there was a widow, there was the widow, gathering sticks together. And she said, I'm going to make a little bit of food for me, and I'm going to make a little bit of food for my son. It's all the food we have left. Then we're going to die. 
This is how desperate our situation is. We are ready to die. We have nothing left. There's nothing left to give. I would love to make you food. I would love to host you. I would love to be hospitable towards you, but I just don't have it. I preached a missions message at a church one time and a similar message, but different. And woman came by and she said, oh, that sounds really good. But for those of us that don't have anything, it really don't apply. That's not true. This woman had nothing. She made that very clear. She didn't even have it. She only, even sticks appeared to be very rare. I'm gathering two sticks. I'm going to cook us a cake. We're going to eat it and then we're going to die. And Elijah said, fine. Okay. But make me one first. That had to take a lot of bold. Right? That had to take a backbone right there. Yeah, I know it's bad. I know we don't have food. I know we don't have water. And that's kind of my fault. Right? And I know you don't have a lot. I know you're concerned about your son. I know he's hungry. And I know he's crying for something to fill his belly. And I understand all of your needs. I understand all of your problems. But go ahead and make me one first. Feed me first. That... I don't know. Sometimes when I think about this, I think, if I could have been there, I'd have grabbed Elijah and just shook him a little bit. That is so bold. That is just something that I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But the Bible said God had commanded her to take care of the man of God. I wonder if she wasn't out there picking up those sticks thinking about this. And I'm supposed to be taking care of somebody else. Let me go ahead and hurry up and make our food before he gets here. She wasn't quite fast enough. And there he comes, making demands of her. You know, we may feel like the preacher makes demands of us. We may feel like the church makes demands of us. We may think this guy from Ohio came making demands of us. But can I make you a sure promise right now? None of the demands about giving come from us. They come from God's word. I want us to look here at a few things about the command or the, the condition, the, the, the promise uh, or the, the command to, to give. First of all, I see that our condition does not negate the command to give. Our condition, now everybody's special, you know that. Well, you don't understand. I can't do such and such. Or you don't understand. I have this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. Everybody has a special case. You, we have things that teachers have to do certain things. and They don't do well. You don't understand I have to do this. Or you don't understand I had that. Or you don't understand. No, I just don't understand anything. Everybody's a special case. And so it's no different with missions when it comes time to talk about giving so that missionaries can go and, and preach the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ to others so that they can go to heaven when they die as well? When it comes to that, there are people in church that say, well, you just don't understand. You don't understand that I don't have a good job or you don't understand that I don't have a lot of money. You don't understand that I just don't have the ability to do that. You don't understand I have a lot of, a lot of bills. Maybe medically, 
There's something going on and you're putting, just whatever it may be, we think that our condition is special. My condition alleviates me from the duty, the responsibility of giving to missions. If anyone had an excuse not to give, it was her. She literally had nothing. She was about to use the last of her, her uh, uh, meal and the last of her oil, mix it up together. That's all there would be. She was going to cook it, eat it, and die. No one who knew the situation would have, would have blamed her a bit if she would have told Elijah, no, I'll feed my son first. And maybe I'll feed you and myself last. But that's not what Elijah said. He tested this woman's faith who had been commanded by God to take care of him. And the audacity he had to say, okay, I understand your situation. Go ahead and do what you said, but take care of my need first. Elijah would not have done that if God hadn't told him to. I don't believe he would have done that. He did it because God had told him to. Your pastor knows life is tough. I know life is tough. I know the economy is getting worse and worse. It's hard to even make ends meet for a lot of people. Gasoline, it's outrageous. And if we wanted to, we could find every reason, every reason why we should be um, uh, just excused from this program. Everybody else can, they're doing better than I am. This was the worst time possible for Elijah to make this request. And I always hear people say, it's never been so bad in America. How many of you have ever heard that? It's the worst it's ever been. That's ludicrous. Just go back and look in history. You know, there were people that were living in little tin shacks, one next to the other, dying of disease, barely eating rats or whatever they could find to eat. And we think it's ridiculous. We can't fill our SUV up with gasoline without spending 200 bucks. Thank God we have an SUV. God is good to us. But this woman, she really had a desperate situation. Anybody here? Anybody here can say, we're about out of food. I'm going to go home, eat my last meal then die. Anybody? I didn't think so. I mean, we may not have a lot. It might just be something simple. But we have something. I've often thought, you know, I look around in my pantry, we could probably go a month without ever going to the grocery store and survive. There's stuff on the shelf that I don't like to eat, so it just sits there. I don't know who bought it. But it's there. When I was in Bible Institute, our pastor would say that the uh, church, when they just started their church, the, the people food 
They'd always bring them whatever they didn't want. You know, the sardines in there. Who buys that stuff? And, or, the things like, or the mint jelly. He said, or somebody brought them in a case of mint jelly. He said, they ain't mint jelly till to this day he will not eat it. He hates it. This was the worst possible time for the man of God to show up and say, give me some food. She was a widow on limited means. And I don't think anybody would have said a thing against her. She'd have said, I can't do that. I understand you're hungry and you're, but this is my boy. Me and my boy are going to go eat. We're going to quietly get together in our home and we're going to just die. Go to Luke 6 with me, if you don't mind. And Hold your place back here in Kings. There may be some, and I've heard this. Uh, you, listen, you want to cause a ruckus on Facebook. I don't know if you guys are on Facebook, but you want to cause a ruckus. Go in there and talk about giving. Say something about giving a tithe. Oh, my heavens. They'll come out of the woodwork against you. How dare you? God doesn't tell us to give. Well, I can tell what you love. Amen. Does God command us to give? Look in Luke chapter number 6 and verse 38. It's a good verse to memorize. Give. You know what we call that? I, I, I'm not an expert by any means in grammar, but that's a declarative thing. That's an imperative statement. Give. Give. And it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Years ago, my dad was talking to me about uh, a time in his life where they were having a tough time making ends meet. My dad's like most people. We're prideful. We got a little bit of pride. And so they didn't say anything. They just prayed. And at church, uh, they went to church one night and someone tried to give them a box of food, a box of groceries. And, and then, oh, I don't need that. God's going to take care of me. You know. And then later, he said he was reading the Bible and he read this verse and the Holy Spirit smote his heart because he read this, shall men give into your bosom. You see, my dad thought, well, it's going to rain dollars from heaven, I guess. I don't know. Somehow God will take care of me in some other way. But what God chooses to do is to use people. He said, men will add unto your bosom. I love the joke. You've probably heard it about the guy who's stuck in a flood on the roof of his house. And he prays to God and said, Lord, send help. Get me out of here. And a guy comes by in a canoe and says, hey, I, I'm alone in this canoe. Why don't you jump in and we can get to safety? No, no, I've prayed. God will take care of me. And he goes on. A guy comes by in a motorboat. Hey, get in here. No, I'm good. I've prayed. God will save me. Then a helicopter flies by. No, no, I don't need you. I'm good. I'm good. I've prayed. God will deal with it. He ends up drowning. When he gets to heaven, he said, Lord, why didn't you do something? He said, I sent you a guy in a canoe, a guy in a boat, and a guy in a helicopter. What else do you want me to do? What are we looking for God to do for us? 
Well, we want him to do it our way. You know what that's called? Pride. Do it my way. I thank God for deputation. I know a lot of preachers who are against it. They don't like it. But I thank the Lord for it. And I stand for it. Deputation built me. It strengthened me. It helped me. I could tell story after story after story where God used his people, his churches to bless me and help me and strengthen me. God's plan. Listen, God's organization on this earth to do his work is right here. His church. I would have rather. Listen, I, I looked into it. I said, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to get a business going and on the proceeds of my business, I'll go to the mission field. And God says, no, you won't, because I'm not going to bless that. God says, what I will bless is the work that is done my way through my church. And I was like, OK, I understand. But our condition does not negate the command to give. It doesn't matter what you think it may be that keeps you from giving. God didn't say, give and it shall well except for you. No, he says give. Somebody gave. Let's think about this a minute. If you're saved here tonight, somebody gave so that the gospel could get to you. Think about that for a minute. My father-in-law talks about going and finding gospel tracks. He delivered cakes, I think it was, in a truck. And so he, on his route, he had a couple of places he'd stop throughout the day to use a restroom. And he'd find gospel tracks. Every day there'd be a tract in there. Many times a new different tract. And he'd pick them up and read them. And he's often talked about how God used that in his life to bring him to Christ. What, a, what an extremely encouraging story that is. Number one, it encouraged me to think, all these tracks that I've laid around in my lifetime, who knows how many read them and got saved? I don't know. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find out a lot more than we ever imagined. God used us to do. Isn't that exciting to think about, brother? I love that thought. But another thought I had is how many people gave to print those tracks to operate those ministries, to make that gospel be put in that place so that he could pick it up and read it. That's a tremendous thought. So our condition does not negate the command to give. Even those that are widows and they, those that may not have a lot, they also can give. And number two, the second thing I think about in this idea of faith promise is that our conclusions do not negate the command to give. The man of God needs to be cared for. I tell our church, I teach our church this, and I'm sure your pastor does too. Missionaries are men of God. They are to be treated with honor and respect just as we would a pastor. They are God's men and we ought to treat them as such. And so God's men need to be cared for. I've, had, I've heard even pastors say things negative about missionaries. I cannot stand the little idea of calling them moochinaries. I don't like that. I don't want to hear it. Amen. These men and women, we have a, a families in our church. They leave their family. They take their children out of grandma and grandpa's arms, put them on an airplane and fly them halfway around the world so they can go and preach the gospel. Before you criticize that, you try it. 
Amen. These are heroes of the faith. And yet everybody seems to have a better way. Well, that's, I don't know if they should do that. I don't think they, they can do that. Or I, don't, I think there's another way to do it. There could have been another way to care for Elijah, don't you think? I mean, God used the brook for a while. He sent ravens to feed him. But God said, I have another work I want to do. There's a widow who needs to care for you. You see, it wasn't Elijah that needed the care as much as there was a widow who needed to learn to care. She needed a purpose. She needed a work to do. She needed something. Listen, and so can you imagine others that may have been out there and they're, they're collecting sticks and they see this widow, they know her story. And here comes this man strutting into town and says, hey, will you fetch me some water? And they're like, hey, get his own water. And she says, yes. And as she's going, he says, hey, and bring me some food. And they're thinking, oh boy. I know she don't have any other Miss Ann. She has nothing. I don't know how he's asking that. And now she's going to tell him. So she tells him they're listening like, oh, this is terrible. How embarrassing for her. And then they hear something that makes them angry. Oh, I see. That's fine. You do that. But first, go make me a cake. You know, listen, if I'd have been standing close, I would have been upset with Elijah, too. I'd have been like, how dare you? You don't understand the situation. Do you think she's just putting on? She's about to die. What's going on with you? What are you thinking? All kinds of conclusions could have been made. Some may have looked at Elijah and said, you're a big boy. Take care of yourself. I've heard pastors say, I think these preachers ought to go to their country and get a job like all other preachers. You know, you realize this, a lot of preachers cannot work in other countries. It's illegal. When we were in Mexico, I had to sign waivers and, and forms and get visa. A visa, when you're talking about a missionary and a visa, we just had a missions class in Institute a couple of years, or last year, I think. And I was shocked how many of our people didn't understand the process of missions and moving to other countries. You have to apply for a visa in that country. That's not a credit card. I was like, oh, why do you have to have a credit card? No, it's different. It's a permit to get into that country and live there. And there are conditions to that visa. And in most countries, we're not, they're not like America because we don't care about our economy. In most countries, you're able, you have to go in and prove you have financial backing to be able to be there. They want to know you are not going to be living off of their economy because their economy is fragile. They don't have hardly enough for their own people. So your missionaries in most countries, it's illegal for them to go and work or to collect a, collect a salary from a church. So they need the support. And so there's so many things. I was going to list a bunch of conclusions people make about missions. I'm not going to do that. But here's what I will say. Conclusions are based on perspective. And a lot of times our perspective is wrong. Let me give you a little bit of an example. Brother, I was not criticizing your live stream. I wasn't. But I was telling your pastor when I walked in, I said, whoa. So this building's a lot bigger than I imagined because when I'm watching on live stream, all I see is this. That's all I see. But my perspective, 
I thought I'm going to walk in this thing. It's going to be a narrow little, you know, like one aisle, one bench thing. And it's not. What a blessing. I was like, well, praise the Lord. I don't have to feel claustrophobic. <laughs> but perspective changes everything, doesn't it? When you're somewhere in person seeing Denali, we got to see the base of it. The top was in clouds, but boy, it was so beautiful. You can see it in photographs a hundred times and you still don't get that feeling you get when you see it with your own eyes. Isn't that amazing? Perspective is everything. Perspective affects our conclusions. And we often, listen, Christian, we're, let's just be honest tonight. You are the same as I am. Often we make wrong conclusions. We make wrong conclusions about people. We make wrong conclusions about situations. We always make, and generally our conclusions are made based on our perspective of things. Pride causes us. To value our opinions. We value our conclusions because of our pride. If you were to poll people and ask them, do you feel like you are a good judge of character? 90% of the people would say, absolutely. I can peg a person in just a few minutes. And I feel the same way, except sometimes, a lot of times, I'm wrong. Aren't we? I've gone up to people before soul winning and I'm like, oh, God, why am I doing this? Jesus, please don't make me do this because this person's not going to listen. The other day I knocked on. Well, the guy was on his porch. I didn't even knock on his door. And I had several men with me and we're doing I don't know what y'all call it. We call it frog and we jump leapfrog over each other from house to house. And I'm standing there. We're going getting ready to go to the next house. There's this guy on his porch. Tattoos all over his neck, down his body. Not, he doesn't have a shirt on. Tattoos all over him. He's got his Glock on his hip. And he's out there drinking on his front porch, just standing there. The other guys, they jump by me. They're down the road. And I'm like, oh boy. And I'm trying to argue with the Lord on this. I'm like, Lord, he's not going to listen anyway. Look at him. This guy will reject it anyway. So I said, well, then what's the harm? Just give him the tract and walk on. I spent 25 minutes standing there talking to this guy about the Lord. Who knew? I was ready to walk on by. Those are our conclusions that are based on our perspective. And sometimes we make conclusions that keep us from being involved in the ministry and the work for missions that God has given to this church. As a part of this body, my belief is this, preacher, and if I'm wrong, you can correct me. God's people that are part of this body ought to be involved and on board with the direction the church is going with the ministry. If we're pulling five different ways, we're not going to get things done. You say, well, my perspective is different. Well, then humble yourself and yield your will to others. Isn't that what the Bible says to do? 
It says, be subject one to another. Amen. But my conclusion is, yeah. What if your conclusion is wrong? It's a huge responsibility to stand on something from your perspective. Listen, like I said, there's not a lot of people would have tolerated what Elijah did in this situation. But they would have been wrong. God gave the command. And I got to believe this, and I don't see it in the text, but I've got to believe that was hard for Elijah to do, don't you think? If I were to go up to someone, it's the last bit of food they had. And I'd have said, I'm hungry. You'd have said, this is all I have. I'm going to eat it and die. I'd have said, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. And I'd have walked on down the road. But Elijah couldn't do that. Because he was there, not for bread, but for a widow. Because she needed to learn how to take care of the man of God. She needed to learn how to be involved in the Lord's business. God says very clearly, I have commanded a widow there to sustain thee. If God had been using natural methods to take care of Elijah to this point, he could have continued to use natural methods, but that would not have helped that widow one bit. If he had not said, Elijah, go and talk to this widow and she'll take care of you. Elijah would have said, I can't do that, God. That's asking way too much of them. That widow would have fixed her last meal, gone into her house, shut the door and died with her son. It's perspective. Conclusions are made. There's some conclusions preachers make and when I was a missionary, I couldn't do anything about it, preacher. I, I would just zip my mouth shut and just sit there and take it. But now as a pastor, I don't do that. And when I'm at a conference or somewhere and another pastor says, well, I don't know why they got to raise $9,000 a month. I said, well, you go try to raise a family in Europe on less. Not only you got to raise your family and take care of your personal needs, you've got to pay for a ministry for years. You've got to pay for the shipping of Bibles. You've got to pay for the printing of material. You've got to pay for all the office needs. Everything you do, if you rent a storefront, you're paying the rent. And I've heard a lot of pastors criticize preachers, missionaries for what they're asking for. They, I heard a preacher one time, they ought to go and live on what the people live on. Are you out of your mind? Many of them can't live on what the people live on. They just can't. And they are also running a ministry. There are reasons why they need what they're asking for. Don't make conclusions. I saw one time we had a, an evangelist come by and he called and said, hey, can we use your facility there and park and hook up? I said, sure, absolutely. And so I said, while you're here, preach for us. And so uh, they come in on a Saturday and we just got done going door to door. They pull in and they got this nice, good looking RV, pretty large. He had custom built this thing and you couldn't tell. It looked professional. It looked really nice. And as they're pulling in, one of our teenagers says, well, I guess they don't need any help. Look how nice. That must be nice to travel around in that. It was all I could do to keep them like my daddy used to do. 
Amen. Anybody, anybody remember that? You're in the back seat of the car and you mouth off at dad. It's funny, he could reach every corner of that back seat. And they were huge cars back then. It was a 63 Ford. My dad had a Galaxy. That was a huge car. My dad could reach every bit of it, man. He could just, one swing, take off five of his kids down. Yeah. I wanted so bad to take that boy around somewhere and whip him. You, I do not like hearing people criticize preachers. He said, well, what if they are living out, out above their means? Well, don't you think God can deal with them? I was reading one time the revelation about the churches there and the candlesticks and all of that. And, and you know, I've got this attitude sometimes where I go, oh, that church, that ain't, that's probably not even a church. One time I'm reading through there and the Lord said, I didn't call you to be a candlestick remover. I'm like, oh, okay, I thought I was, sorry. I did. Don't look at me all innocent like, oh, I've never done that. God hasn't called you to judge missionaries. Just send them. Now, I'm not telling you support every missionary that's, that comes by. That's not what I'm saying. I think churches ought to be correct. They ought to be right. They ought to pray over it. They ought to ask the Lord. But when the Holy Spirit of God gives you peace and says, support that man, you ought to jump on it and say, yes, amen. As a missionary, I had to fill out forms. I had one church. They sent a questionnaire. It's like 10 pages. And this wasn't about basic Bible doctrines. They wanted to know where every dollar of my personal income was going to be spent. How much are you going to spend on snacks? Well, I want to spend all of it. <laughs> but common sense says if I do, I won't have anything for gas. Let them do their job. You say, well, we want to know what the budget missionary, we want to know everything they're doing. Every dime they spend, okay, fine. Then you set you one up, you show them everything you spend, and you guys trade them. I'm just trying to be honest, amen. But our conclusion, sometimes we think, well, and I, listen, I have seen Baptist churches stop giving the missions simply because they say, well, we were taken advantage of. Of course you were. We live in a fallen world. The more missionaries you support, the more chances are you might support one that is not actually doing a work for the Lord. But God knows about that. And He's able to take care of that. You know why it bothers us so much? Because of our pride. We don't want to be taken advantage of. Amen? Like that time I wanted to buy a boat and the guy wanted me to go down to Walmart and buy a bunch of cards and send them to him. No, I didn't do it. That's a scam, by the way. I don't know if we should do a class on that. <laughs> yeah. You go on Facebook or on whatever, Facebook Marketplace or something, you want to buy something, and they say, yeah, go get a bunch of Walmart cards and send me the numbers. Don't do it. You'll never see what you're buying. Okay, that was free. You're just trying to help. Missionaries are men of God. They need to be cared for. They are not charity cases. They shouldn't be treated that way. Amen? We try our best to treat our missionaries like royalty when they come. And I can tell you do too. And that's a blessing. That's what that apartment's about. Amen?
Number three, so we say our condition does not negate the command. Our conclusions do not negate the command. Number three, our capacity does not negate the command to give. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 1. Verse 27, the Bible says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You ever wonder why God chose you? Some of you will get that. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Pastor Dimlo, whenever I get to feeling like I got a big head, like, man, pastor. So yeah, because God chooses the weak things. The foolish things, the dumb things, the base things. That's what dumb is, base things of the world. And things which are despised that God chose, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. You know, God could have set it up just like the Mormons, because you know they got a better idea. We'll just buy a bunch of businesses and we'll finance all our ministry through businesses. Ha! I bet the Baptists wish they'd thought about that. No thanks. We'll let the Lord take care of it. Amen. He's better at it, isn't he? Our capacity does not negate the command. I give you say, preacher, we're a small church. You know, I know there are churches that have, you know, six, seven, eight hundred people. They, they can do more than we can. That, you know, we're way up here and I understand and realize there's probably not a lot of missionaries able to come through here. Because you guys are way off the map. Some of you are like, yes! I would be too. That's pretty cool. You may think that you're insignificant. In the whole picture of things, you may think we're not that big of a deal. We're not doing that much. But can I tell you from a perspective of a man who's been on the mission field, we didn't have big churches supporting us. You know the average size of church that is supporting missions today? Like this one. It's not the 600 member churches that are doing the bulk of the labor. It's churches just like this. That the ones God sends their way, they take them on wholeheartedly, support them, encourage them, strengthen them, call them. By the way, don't just send money and forget. Talk to them. Send them a note. Send them an email. There's no excuse in our day with the technology we have not to communicate with missionaries. Send them an email and say, hey, we want you to know we're praying for you. We're behind you. Our capacity does not negate the command to give. He used this widow who had nothing. Why? Well, I, need, I believe the widow needed something. She needed a touch of God in her life. But also God wanted to prove it ain't her that took care of Elijah. It was God. God sustains His work and His men through His churches. This is the Lord's plan. His organization on earth are His churches. 
Man may look at it. You may get a college graduate, look at the whole process and say, this is a waste. This is wasting. I heard a guy one time, he says, you know, I don't think missionaries ought to tithe or give to missions. I said, why not? He said, well, their checks are just passing in the mail. I mean, they're giving to the church and the church is giving back to them. It seems ridiculous to me. Let them just keep their money and we won't have to bother. I said, you're about, got about that much spirituality in you. The act of giving is God's plan because he's a giver. We're going to look at that probably not tonight, but we're going to look at that a little bit more too. He does not want, to f want flesh to glory. Go to John again. Back up again to John chapter. Well, we were in Luke, but go to John 6. You know the story here where Jesus fed the 5,000. Remember that? How long do we, do we have, brother? You said midnight? Till we're done. Midnight it is. Praise the Lord. Some of you are getting nervous now. <laughs> But in John 6, in verse number 9, had the story of the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000. And the Bible says that uh, one of his disciples, verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, here is a, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? What a question. You might have that question. What are we among so many? What difference can we make let me put it to you this way any difference spiritually that is made is going to be made by you God doesn't have another way and it's not because he didn't think of another way this was his plan you are his plan this is not plan B this is not well we're just going to have to wing it no. Plaque Road, or Plaque Road Baptist Church is his plan. Do you realize how significant you are as a church? Souls would die without Jesus Christ if it weren't for you. You say, oh, God would use a raven. No, I don't think he would. His delight is to use his churches, his people. I, I got to thinking about this one day. I was thinking about the feeding of the 5,000. I thought, you know, among 5,000 men or 5,000 people, somebody else surely had to have thought to bring a little bit of food. Have you ever thought that? Maybe there's a few people, you know, that had a little bit of bread or something, a snack. I always have something, right? Trail mix. Anything. Little Debbie cake. Not supposed to eat those. But something. But I'm sure all these other people were the same way as, as Andrew was. What is this among so many? This is mine. Right? But there was a little boy. When they went around looking for food, he didn't hide his. He said, I just got a little bit. Here's five loaves and two fish. Supposed to be my lunch, but if he can use it, I'll share it. And Andrew's like, Lord, here's a little bit, but what is it among so many? Boy, what a tremendous thought for missions. God can take what you give and multiply it thousands of times and provide the need that the missionaries has. 
Wouldn't you want to be a part of that? The last thing I have, don't get excited, it's a whole page. Our calamity does not negate the command to give. Verse 17 tells us the tragic story of the widow's son. The one that she was going to make a cake for and they were going to go die. We don't know how much time has passed now that God has sustained them on that little bit of meal and that little bit of oil. I can only imagine what it was like for her each day. The first day, she probably went in there and says, oh, we're probably going to be hungry today. And she looked and said, well, it's about the same as yesterday. And she scooped out. <clears throat> By the way, I believe every day when she got up in the morning, got ready to make breakfast, she made breakfast for Elijah first. Because that's what he said to do. Make me one first and then... Make one for you. So she scoops out some, makes the cake, puts it on for Elijah. She says, I wonder if we're going to get to eat. And she looks and says, it looks about like the same. Scoops it out, mixes it up with the oil, puts it on for her son. And she looks and says, look at that. It doesn't look like it's gone down at all. And she pulls that out. About three days in, she just jumps out of bed and runs in there and says, yeah, it's still there. Every day it got more and more exciting to her. Then one morning she gets up and her son dies. Verse 17, it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Doing what you are supposed to do, obeying God does not protect us from anything bad happening to us. I think this is something we need to understand as God's people because I believe we misunderstand it a lot. We think, well, I'm faithful to church. I give. I'm, I'm helping out. I'm doing what I can and all this. Certainly everything's going to be great. And God's just going to bless me every day. I'm going to have a lot of health. And when something goes wrong, some Christians are ready to bail out. I thought... I thought surely he'd take care of me. Storms come even when we're doing the right thing. God told his disciples, his apostles, he said, get in the boat and cross over to the other side. And he went and prayed for them because he knew what they were about to get into. And there came up a storm. Do not assume, you say, preacher... Sometimes the church goes through storms. Don't assume that it's because something's wrong. We make that assumption a lot. Somebody's doing something wrong. The pastor messed up. The deacons messed up. Somebody messed up somewhere. No, not necessarily. We are living in a broken world that is a battlefield. Ephesians 6 tells us that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities. In spiritual wickedness, darkness. That's what we wrestle against. And every now and then, God chooses his, some of His choice churches to allow them to go through the fire just as He allowed Job to pass through a fire. He wasn't doing anything wrong and He insisted on that. 
That's why his friends hated him so much and got angry with him. How dare you say you're righteous? How dare you say you've not done anything wrong? God wouldn't, listen, this was their conclusion. God would not allow this to happen to you if you had been doing right. Oh yeah? Because we find out later the Lord rebuked them for that. Sometimes you can be doing everything right and still go through a trial. You say, preacher, is that when we can stop? No, not even then. In fact, it's more important than ever that in the middle of your fire, in the middle of that trial, that you determine you're going to keep serving the Lord. There's a preacher every now and then I would call him, especially early on when things went south as a new pastor. It happened a lot. One day I called him. I said, Pastor, I said, Preacher, this is going on. I told him the story. And I expected some sort of a secret pastor, you know, wisdom that I didn't know about. He'd say, oh, yeah, this is what you do. It's easy. But here's what he said in his sage, 80-year-old voice. Brother Ron, you're going to have to walk through this fire. I just started crying. I said, preacher, I don't want to. He said, yeah, I know. He said, but you'll be glad you did. Calamity. Calamity does not negate the command to give. I've heard, listen, preachers for years, and I've probably been guilty, we've tried to use... Um, coercion to get give people to give well if you don't give to missions i tell you what probably all your tires are going to go flat i mean how many of you ever heard that yeah if you don't give to missions your tires are going to your your house is going to burn down well you might give to missions and your house burned down anyway yeah. amen so what does that mean oh sage Some things happen because we don't know why, but that doesn't mean we stop. In this case, I'm glad to say God gave her son back. But we can see over and over in the Bible situations where God did not restore the loss. There have been times in my life God did not restore the loss. And there's probably many in here that could give testimony of things that happened in your life. And it hurt. It was painful. And perhaps the devil used it as an opportunity to say, hey, why don't you just give up? God doesn't expect you to give. You lost your job. I don't know how you do faith promise here. We collect promise cards. We don't have names on them. We don't go collecting. We don't go up to say, hey, you said you're just going to. We don't do that. But we have folk that want to. They fill them out and they put them on the altar on the last day of the meeting. And I ask our people, 
Don't put on that card whatever you want to put on there. Pray about it. Because what will, what will thrill you more than anything else is being obedient to the Holy Spirit of God and watching Him do the work. I've had people, they've given their faith promise card and it was more because they believed yet we need to do more. I want to see more souls saved, so let's give more. If every dollar, you could guarantee every dollar punched the devil in the nose once, how many would you give? I'd give everything I had. I'd love to see him punched in the nose about three times. <laughs> I'm just joking, just teasing. But when you give what God says to give, and I've had people do that, they'll write it down, and then all of a sudden they've lost their job. They're laid off. They'll come and say, Preacher, I didn't expect this. What do I do? I said, You do what God told you to do. Did God tell you to do it? Are you certain He told you to do it? Yes, I'm certain He said. Then you do it. You know what God does? He provides even better. He always takes care of us. I cannot promise you. I'm not going to stand here, neither will your pastor stand here and say, Hey, if you give, God's just going to bless you beyond measure and you'll never have any problems again. I'm not doing that. But faith, listen to me now, faith is not about trusting God when things are good. Faith is about trusting God when things are rough. I didn't expect this, Lord, but I believe you told me to do it and I'm going to do it anyway. Now, giving, that bothers the devil. But giving through trial... That absolutely defeats him. Being obedient to the Lord. Our lesson is this. Give by faith in obedience to God and don't waver. Don't make excuses. Consider in your heart and mind That there is no exception. Every child of God, every member of one of His churches is commanded to be a part in supporting and sending, and we're going to talk about even surrendering to His work. And we may say, listen, I've got folk in our church that are like that too. Every church has them. Yeah, but you don't understand my situation. Yeah, I'm sure God's just absolutely oblivious. I had a, a person one time come and say, Preacher, I just, you know, I've got this to do and I can't be at church and I just, do you think that'll be okay? I said, look, it's not Ron's day, it's the Lord's day. I said, I tell you what you do, you go pray, you ask the Lord if it's okay for you to go to this party instead of His house. And if He tells you okay, who am I? But if I know him, he's not going to tell you that. But what they want to do is ask me so I can say, yeah, it's okay. 
So please don't go to your pastor and say, yeah, I made a faith promise commitment, but I didn't know I was going to lose my job. You know what your pastor's going to do? I don't know, but I know what I would do. My compassionate side would say, listen, you know, I understand. I'm surprised that Elijah, I mean, I don't know how, except knowing God, he was able to go to this woman who said, we're literally going to eat our last crumb and die. And how he was able to say, okay, do whatever you said, but first make me something to eat. That's incredible to me. God has made a demand of us. There is no situation that negates that command. Father in heaven, I pray you bless the word tonight. God, may you move and work in our hearts. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to be involved in your work. God, that we could have an impact, just even a small part is an amazing thing to me. Just any opportunity we have to make an eternal difference in a soul is a tremendous thing. Lord, I pray you bless this church. Thank you for it. It's such a blessing. God, help them to continue for years in the future by faith, lifting up these men of God, supporting them, encouraging them. And God, we know you'll bless this ministry for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.